Well, today uh, we're starting a series called Scripture Songs, and we're going to look, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a different song in Scripture and just see what we can learn from a song in Scripture. So I thought just to get us in the mood, just to think about it, um, I want you to think about if you had to pick your favorite album of all time, I know this is a difficult decision for some of us, but if you had to pick your favorite album, an album is a record or a collection of songs. We still call CDs albums uh, because it's a good word. It works. And um, so if you had to pick, you know, your favorite artist, their their one, you know, CD release or their album that was just kind of brought everything together. For most bands, it's often their first one, right? Uh, But uh, I'll share mine with you. Half of you probably never even heard of it. And uh, the other half will be like, why is that his favorite album? It doesn't make that much sense, but nonetheless, it is my favorite album. So don't make fun of me even before you've heard it. Uh, My favorite album is Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. And you might be wondering, why is that your favorite album? Well, besides the fact that I I do believe it's a great combination of sort of American roots rock from its era, but probably the real reason it's... Uh, my favorite is that it, it debuted in the year 1989, and I turned 16 in the year 1989. And I think for most of us, for a lot of us, our favorite albums, just go back to the year that you turned 16, if you did, and you would probably find your favorite album in that era. Or you'd find something at least sentimental. And uh, let's just say that I put half this album on the mixtape that I made for my future wife at the time. And uh, she just endured it, I guess. Um, But in 1989, it was funny, because if you went to a record store, you might find a few records, but you'd find a lot of tape cassettes, and you'd also have to make the difficult decision, do I dive into the compact disc market? Because it was around 1989 that we all had to make this decision. Do we switch over? You know, we have this collection of tape cassettes. Do we switch over to compact discs? And uh, it's funny, the, the Full Moon Fever CD, they actually, on the compact disc version, these are the kind of silly things we did in the late 80s. They actually said, uh, at a certain part in the CD, they said, now this is the time when those who bought the tape cassette have to get up and turn the tape over, so we will dramatically pause for them, and then the CD went on. I was just like, really? This is the kind of things we did. But music has a way, I think, to enter in to our lives and our psyche in a different way than other things do. And it doesn't even have to be that good, right? The music to enter in in profound ways sometimes is not even that great musically. And lyrically, there's a lot of challenges with the music we listen to. I mean, I don't even need to go to present-day music. I can just look at the music that I listened to when I was 16. So Free Fallen was the opening track of Full Moon Fever. She's a good girl. Loves her mama, loves Jesus and America too. She's a good girl, crazy about Elvis, loves horses and her boyfriend too. And I'm free, free fallen. Yeah, I'm free, free fallen. So what makes a song really great? Obviously, it may not be the lyrics, right? But what makes a song great is subjective, It kind of depends on what your preferences are, when you grew up, what you like, what you don't like, loud, soft, all these dynamics. 
Um, but I think we could all agree that a great song, that there would be some sonic quality to a great song, that it would, it would arrive at greatness with the musicality or the way that the instruments were combined or the way that it was presented. And then also, I think a great song has to have some substance, right? It's got to move us in a direction or emotionally or just give us uh, thoughts that we can then work around. So we'll, we'll look at the songs of Scripture because I believe that there are some great songs there. The challenge that we have is we only have part of the songs. How do you study a song without the music? That sounds challenging. And yet we have all these songs in Scripture. Here are some of the songwriters of Scripture. Moses and Miriam, Deborah and Barak, Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon, King David, King Solomon, Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah are interesting, and our text is going to come from a song that the sons of Korah wrote. So I want to give you a little background on the sons of Korah. We actually have to go back to Numbers In Numbers, Aaron and Moses uh, were asked to take a census of the early nation of Israel. And in early in Numbers, in chapter 3, we hear about the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, so he was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Levi was given the responsibility to work alongside Moses and Aaron in caring for the temple and for the, at that time, the tent of meeting and caring for the holy things of God. And uh, not long do we find out. So Levi had his son Kohath and in Kohath's family at the time were 8,600 boys or men who were a month or older. And they specifically, this group of people, this group, this family line, was given the responsibility of the sanctuary and the tent of meeting. And they were given, uh, really their mission was to care for the holy things of God. In fact, they had to be so careful that when they were moving, because remember, they were in the desert at this time, and Moses was leading the people, and they were just kind of a transient people. When they moved the tent of meeting, the Kohath family had to be sure that when they were moving the holy things of God, that they actually didn't touch them, so they covered them up. And if they accidentally touched them, they would die immediately. And this was the responsibility that this family had. But this is where it gets messy. If you go over to Numbers 16, Korah enters the scene. Now, Korah was the son of Izhar, who was the son of Kohath, who was the son of Levi. So Korah, if you do the math, is Levi's great-grandson. So Korah is the great-grandson of Levi, this great tribal leader of the nation, or the, the tribe, um, the tribe of, of the Levites. And Korah, um, he gathers some of the Reubenites, and he, he gathers a, just this mob of men, and they approach Moses, and he says to Moses, Moses, you've gone too far. Why do you set yourselves above the people? Now, we know from the Old Testament that whenever anyone says anything to Moses, 
It can be kind of dangerous for them. But Korah, he gathered some of the Reubenites and he, um, he approaches Moses and he criticizes his leadership. And I love Moses' response. It says that immediately he falls face down. And I feel like he's fallen face down before the Lord, just realizing what's happening and maybe looking inwardly first. But then he stands up and he says, you know what? It's on. Tomorrow morning, we're all going to meet right here. We're going to meet before the Lord. All 250 of us, we're going to present ourselves before the Lord, and we're just going to see what happens. And it's a really interesting story of how, once again, Moses is interacting with the Lord and interceding for the people. Um, And the Lord does show up that day. He shows up with fire, and he opens up the earth, and he consumes Korah and all the men that were with him. And we might think, well, there you go. That's the end of the sons of Korah. But no, it's interesting. In Numbers 26, it specifically says that the line of Korah did not die out. And then if we fast forward 400 years, and we hear in the book of Chronicles that under the Davidic kingdom, King David he appoints the sons of Korah to a special purpose. I love this in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. 400 years later, after Korah was devoured by the Lord, look at um, the responsibility that King David gives the sons of Korah in uh, the responsibility before the Lord. He says, The sons of Korah were among the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord. After the ark rested there, they ministered with song before the tabernacle until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So here we are, and it's the time where they have the tabernacle now. The the temple hasn't been built yet by Solomon. But the sons of Korah are responsible for the songs. So what does that mean? I mean, even if the story ended right here with the sons of Korah, there would be a little bit of redemption going on. Korah rose up. And yet his line was preserved. And now these men are called the sons of Korah. They're not called the sons of Kohath. They're not called the sons of Levi. They're called the sons of Korah. And it's here that we find that the sons of Korah were amazing songwriters. Um, We have about 14 of their songs uh, recorded in the Psalms. And they were keepers of the songs of Israel. So listen to some of the uh, lyrics that they've penned from Psalms. And as I read them, just kind of connect the dots with their history. These are the sons of Korah, carrying Korah's name. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Be still and know that I am God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I really like this one from Psalm 45, verse 16. Your sons will take the place of their fathers. How fitting for the sons of Korah to pen this in a song. And we turn to our main text for today, Psalm 42. You can turn there. And as you turn there, I think already we've seen in the sons of Korah that the songs of Scripture are rising out from real places, real people, and real circumstances. 
Psalm 42 is a familiar one, especially the first line. Allow me to read it for us. Psalm 42, for the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The second thing I want us to see is that in Scripture songs, Scripture songs accomplish poetic things in our lives. They're purposed for different things than other parts of Scripture are purposed for. And though we don't have the music, we do have the lyrics. These are song lyrics. We know it's a song from the introduction for the director of music of the Sons of Korah, a maskil. A maskil, we know is a musical term. We, I almost say we have no idea what it means. The word maskil, there's some thought that it literally means wisdom or understanding. So this psalm could be a psalm that was used for, to bring wisdom or understanding. Um, but we know it's a musical term. And in fact, um, Psalm 43 is likely part of the same song. And it's got a three-for-one special in it because there's a chorus or a refrain that carries through the song. If you memorize Psalm 42, verse 5, 42, verse 11, and Psalm 43, verse 5, you can tell people you memorize three verses in one because they're all the same. And this is the refrain, this is the chorus that carries through the song. I want us to um, do our best to learn from God's scripture songs. And uh, all we have left is the, the lyrics. So they're, they're the best thing that we can look at. We can certainly write new melodies to these songs and sing them, and that's valuable. And we'll talk more about that later. But um, when we think about scripture songs accomplishing poetic things in our lives, I want us to talk about uh, figures of speech and particularly metaphors. Uh, A metaphor is a figure of speech. Uh, A metaphor compares two different things by calling one thing the other thing or inserting a word. Um, Many of us know what similes are. Similes and metaphors kind of go together. They're very related. Sometimes it's even hard to tell 
what's a simile, what's a metaphor. I'll keep it simple. So here's the most basic approach to metaphor and simile. He runs like a cheetah. That's a simile. So whenever the word like or as, that's usually a simile. So he runs like a cheetah. That's a simile. This is a metaphor. I feel blue. I feel blue. Like I said, metaphors are built with word associations. So you can say, I feel sad, or you can say, I feel blue. And we just kind of take these in, but do you really feel blue? No, that's not a literal statement. Somehow we have associated the color blue with sadness. And these are the metaphors that we use in life. So I tried it at breakfast yesterday just to build a couple of similes and metaphors just to show you how easy it is. So here was one. Here's a couple. Uh, her face was as sour as a grapefruit. Simile or metaphor? That's a simile. Her, her face was as sour as a grapefruit. Here's a metaphor. She gave me a grapefruit look when I told her to put her jammies on. That's a metaphor. So you can do this. You can do this at home. You don't even need to be a poet um, to, to build similes and metaphors around your life. But metaphor is one of the dominant tools that the psalm writer or the scripture songwriter would use. In fact, I heard it said that a metaphor is in every one of the 150 psalms. So that may be true, but we do know that in almost every psalm, you will find a metaphor. And that would be you know, a good way to look at the psalms, look for the metaphors. But what does a metaphor do? A metaphor uh, just helps us connect things. And I want to talk a little bit about what a metaphor does in Scripture. Uh, Eugene Peterson has written a lot about the Psalms and metaphors. And he says this about metaphor and Scripture. He says, when the psalmists pray, they call up lions and snares and dirt to talk about sin, sun, and shade. And king to address God, tree and mountain and lamb to designate lives blessed by God. So we find metaphors all throughout the Psalms. But what do metaphors really do? In Scripture, oftentimes, metaphors help us take physical things, things we can see, and they help us see God uh, when we look at these metaphors. And that's what this Psalm does. It uses water. Water is the most common metaphor in all of Scripture. And it makes sense because water next to oxygen is what we need to survive. Besides, it's actually more necessary than food. We can certainly last much longer uh, with water than we can just on food. In fact, um, Hugh Jackman, when he was filming Les Mis, he went without water for three days. And he lived to tell about it, but he said, I don't recommend it. But he did it so that he could film that opening scene. And going three days without water can make look so, someone look uh, distraught and, and someone who's in need. So three days without water and we will all be almost dying of thirst. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The writer has this longing 
It's really interesting. He kind of starts with a simile. He says, as the deer pants, so my soul pants. Uh, But it's also a metaphor because how does your soul pant? The, The panting here, it's more than just a deer being out of breath. It's actually carries with it the idea that the deer would just be looking for water for survival. He would be searching it out and he would be finding one dry stream after another. My soul thirsts for God. God is to the soul what water is to the body. An absolute need felt intensely. There's another example of a metaphor that I want to look at in this song. Look at verses 6 and 7. My soul is downcast within, within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I said earlier that scripture songs are rooted in real life. And when I read this, I thought, hmm, the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, Mount Mazar. And I started to go to uh, Google or an encycl- a Bible encyclopedia to look at some maps. But then I remembered we have a missionary friend in Jordan. And uh, so I emailed him, and I got a really cool response. His name is Barry Cordova. His brother Pat and Pat Cordova and their family used to go here. And his brother Ben Cordova is the manager of our coffee shop. Barry Cordova has been here a couple times over the last few years just sharing about his ministry. So I emailed him and I said, can you tell me about Mount Hermon and Mount Mazar and the land of the Jordan? So he wrote me an email back. I want to read it to you. Hey, Terry, thanks for your email and blessings on your study and teaching of this encouraging psalm. The Jordan River starts not far from Mount Hermon, which is in present-day Lebanon. Mount Hermon is the highest peak in the land, often covered with snow. So that's why this area is called the land of the Jordan, because the Jordan starts from Mount Hermon. From Mount Hermon, it flows south into the north tip of the Lake of Galilee, and from the Lake of Galilee flows back into the Jordan River, continuing south into the Dead Sea. I have canoed down the North Jordan, north of the Lake of Galilee, only a few miles north, but farther north in the Upper Galilee, it can be really strong, lots of rapids, and yes, some waterfalls, but not sure how big. But definitely, these are the sounds that the psalmist would have heard. Google Mount Hermon, and you can get some other info and some great maps of the area. Even he told me to Google it, and the, and the Jordan River. Hope to see you all this summer and praying for the church and new plant. Blessings, brother, Barry Cordova. Who needs Google, though, when you have a missionary friend in Jordan? I mean, come on, this is pretty cool. And it would have been uh, the son of Korah who was responsible for the holy things of God. And maybe this particular son of Korah had been up by Mount Hermon and, and had been away from the presence of God. God, when can I go to you, to your presence? Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves are crashing over me. Isn't it so cool how we can look at a song of scripture and and look at 
how it's rooted in real life. And these, this rooting in real life is where the metaphors are built, right? So in scripture, when we talk about God as shepherd and mighty fortress and shield, this was in a land of shepherds and swords and fortresses. These were the, the items that helped them see God um, in his deepness. And that's what we see in this verse, verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is interesting because the, word, the first word rendered deep, it, it means a wave or a surge. But the second word deep is a slightly different word. It means a, a sea, a vast sea or, or an infinitely deep sea. And the word call that connects the two words, it, it means here that one wave seemed to speak to another wave. And a surge, you know, a surge spoke to the deep sea. I love that metaphor, as deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfall, so your waves and your breakers crash over me. Augustine, of this longing that the writer felt, he says this, I am thirsty on my pilgrimage, parched in my running, but I will be totally satisfied when I arrive. In this metaphor, we see that the deepness of God is lined up with the deepness of our soul. And when we stop and we break down a song, it, it, some of it is lost, but the lyrics help us kind of associate things. And it's these two metaphors, a thirsty soul, and the deep, deep things of God calling to the deepness of our souls that are the verses. But then we have this chorus that holds the whole song together, right? Why are you downcast, soul? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I think Jesus loved the fact that the writer used the word Savior. In John 14, I'm sorry, John 4, verse 14, um, Jesus, he, he goes with this metaphor of water. In fact, it was one of his favorite metaphors too. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus even inserts himself into his own metaphor. And I think he's the only one that's allowed to do this. But in John chapter 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus is the living water. And that's, that's a metaphor that's worth dying for. And it's something that we, it's one of the ways that we connect with our Savior. So in summary, on this first week, I just want to end with a few um, kind of thoughtful, practical challenges. The first thing is that we're going to look at a few other songs and we'll look at different ways that they speak to us. But today, I think we can find this encouraging. That scripture songs, the songs in Scripture... They all rise up out of real things, real places, real people, real circumstances. And they all use metaphor um, as a tool to help us connect 
with the deep things of God. So I want to ask you, where is your soul disturbed? Where are you downcast? I mean, if you're like me, not a week goes by where you don't feel a little bit, your soul doesn't feel a little bit disturbed or downcast. Sometimes there's hard seasons. Sometimes some of the seasons are, you look at yourself and, and you, you criticize yourself because uh, what you're feeling is, is shallow, but you st- even in what, though everything is going great, your soul feels, still feels disturbed in this land, in this earth. So I want to challenge you to do what the songwriter did here. When you feel disturbed, identify um, the real places and the real things in your life that you can remember. The son of Korah, he remembered this. And as he remembered this, he poured out his soul to the Lord. And the other thing we can do is, is look for metaphors in our lives. We, we kind of ebb and flow on the metaphors of Scripture, and they're great uh, metaphors, probably the best. I don't know that we can improve upon them. I mean, water is still one that, that we understand. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there are not other metaphors in your life that might help you connect with the deepness of God. And lastly, this is, this is kind of an ongoing challenge for the month of February. I want to ask and encourage each one of you to memorize a psalm. Now, this is a fun way to engage with songs in Scripture. And it's, it sounds hard, but then when you actually do it, it's good to do it maybe with someone else, a family member or a friend. But it's actually really, it's really fun to memorize Scripture. So I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you to memorize a psalm during, during the month of February. You can start with Psalm 1, which is a good starting point, or Psalm 100. Psalm 100, I think there's about five verses. That's, that's manageable, and it, it's a really beautiful psalm. Or if you're looking for the easy way out, which I know some of you are, you can go to Psalm 117. It's two verses. So at the end of February, you can come up and you can recite Psalm 117 and I'll pat you on the back. But it's a nice psalm. It's, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. Um, if you're up for a challenge, of course, go two psalms later for the longest psalm in the, in the Bible. Uh, I like Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is, is a really practical psalm. I believe if you memorize Psalm 15, a day will not go by that that psalm does not speak to you in powerful ways. And as you memorize these songs, just remember that God's songs, Scripture songs, rise up out of real circumstances in life. And their purpose, their purpose is poetic. A song's purpose has a poetic purpose. Not every lyric is a poem, and not every poem is a lyric, but they relate to each other in profound ways. And, and then the song leaves the page, and it starts to mess with sound waves in the air, and it's pretty mysterious. But, uh, but we do have the song lyrics. We're going to close uh, by singing a song called I Lift My Hands, uh, and it, it actually pulls a few thoughts from this psalm, so I thought it'd be a good place to end for us today. So why don't I close this in prayer, and we'll continue worship. 
Lord, we're thankful for how you speak to us through your word and through the scripture songs of the past. Though they're thousands of years old, God, uh, they speak to us in profound and thoughtful and helpful ways. God, I pray that you would use songs, uh, scripture songs, um, to teach us about uh, the ways that we can connect to the deepness of who you are. God, you're... You are eternal. There's nothing shallow about you. There's, there's nothing, none of you stays on the surface, God. Um, you, you go to the depths, and, but you call us from the deep places in our soul, God. You call us toward yourself. We'll, we're thankful for that. We praise you for that. We ask, God, that uh, the living water that springs up through us, through Christ, and by going to him with our thirst, I pray that that we would all find it. If there's anyone here that doesn't know about that thirst, God, I ask that they would uh, search after you and find it. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.